Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. God, I hope our parents don't listen to this. Yeah. I don't think... I think... I think my dad might. Like, I think he listens to some of them, but I'm pretty sure my mom doesn't. I think at one point she said this was just too much for her, the reading and the listening. And I'm pretty sure your mom doesn't because <laughs> your mom just likes to respond to the pictures when we promote the podcasts on Facebook. Like, it'll be like a really heavy subject and it'll be a good picture of you. And she'll be like, oh, it's such a cute picture of my daughter, even though, like, we're talking about. I need a haircut. What? Oh, and yeah, she always thinks I need a haircut. Yeah. But I love that, um, that she's responding in her own way. But I, yeah, boy, I hope they don't, don't listen to this anymore. Uh, this is going to be conversation two, part two of our conversation from a couple of weeks ago about our relationship relapse. And we didn't mean for there to be a part two, Sherry. But we just received so much feedback on part one that we felt like it was a good idea to address the feedback. Um, we, we received a few public comments that were posted to the website, but really most of the feedback on such sensitive topics like this that we get from people that we don't know comes by email, and then from people that we do know, you know, email or text or phone calls. But we got a lot. A lot of it was concern for us, people that were worried about us and, and listened and thought we were in a much better place. And I think that that was really, I don't know, I don't know if appropriate's the right word, but it really kind of telling because I think people who have not experienced this think that you just recover and get better and everything's fine and don't realize that there's still a yo-yo to it. There's still opportunities to follow the breadcrumbs down that path to the pit, as I like to call it, and end up in a bad place again, and that that can happen years into sobriety, that there's just lingering, long-lasting impacts from an alcoholic relationship. And so I think it was good that some people who really are close with us and love us were able to better understand that this this lingers and that this is something that we're still dealing with and, and will probably, I don't know if forever is the right word, but for a lot longer anyway, it seems like. And, and then, you know, there was, there was a lot of feedback from people who were really triggered by what we talked about. And we'll talk a little bit about, about that. We just, we want to do this to add some clarification. We're in a much better place now. And um, I think kind of looking at it through the clarity of, of getting, feeling better, feeling better about each other and ourselves will be helpful. You ready for this? You up for a conversation? Part two? Um, I suppose. I'm, I've realized I'm in a little bit of a grumpy mood, so. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Related or unrelated to me? Uh, I don't know. Oh. Maybe like the, oh, we're going to talk about part two. And oh. <laughs> I mean, I know I came up with thinking say, about fairness, it, this was your but idea. I thought maybe there could be some time that I would prepare a little bit better. And um, you and I haven't discussed some of the com side conversations or text messages um, or some of the thoughts and feelings about some of the responses. So uh, this will be happening like conversation first time out of the gate. New thoughts, things I've like processed. Are but you to, scared now? <laughs> no, because to some extent, that's what this always is. You know, I mean, there's not. This is unscripted. I don't exactly. Well, I wouldn't say we scripted, don't have a pre-conversation about the topics. But a lot of things of that we've covered of things that has happened, and we've conversed about it. It's in not, real time. Yeah, yeah, like like this. You know, podcast went out. Ninety nine went out, and then we had. You know, lots of feedback. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe this is something we should do. And then we did a hundred 
episode 100, and now we're into it, but we still haven't had time yeah. to kind of discuss some of the things that I heard that maybe you didn't see, or the feelings of, of what some of the the feedback and responses were, so... Yeah. I'm not saying we go scripted, totally. It's just... Well, I'm definitely not scared, because um, I've just... I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued and interested... Maybe I should be scared. Maybe I'm too stupid to be scared. <laughs> but let's... But I think the first thing we should do, because I, I don't think people, people that... necessarily listen to our podcast in sequence, we should do just a little bit of a recap of episode 99, which was titled 7-14-21, which was the date of this relationship relapse that we had. Again, no alcohol was consumed, but we... the The, the chasm between... My insecurity about Sherry's feelings for me and Sherry's challenge to trust and be vulnerable was what that was all about. We had a an awful night. We stayed up all night. I wouldn't even say arguing. I mean, certainly there were times where it got argumentative and and heated, although we were in a house full of people, so it was whisper fighting at worst, at its worst. But it was very it was very painful. We stayed up all night talking about my, again, my insecurity for your feelings for me and your challenges to be trusting and vulnerable. Um, and I think the the takeaway, the, the, the thing that I, you know, I'm constantly learning that is like my jam. I like, I don't necessarily feel like I ever will have all the answers. That's if, if that's what I was trying to do, I guess I would go to school for some of this stuff. I guess you learn in school too, but... <laughs> I like to learn from our experiences and the experiences of people around us. That's that's my thing that I enjoy so much. And what I've learned the most from the experience of of going through this and from recording episode 99 is that it all comes down to trust. Um you know, we we've been saying on the addiction side, on the the side of the drinker, the person like me that the opposite of addiction is self-esteem. Um, it's kind of popularly believed that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I don't think that's quite right. I think it's close. I think connection leads to self-esteem. But I think we can get self-esteem <laughs> when we're all by ourselves too. And it's that low self-esteem condition that causes drinkers to drink because it makes those feelings go away. And when we feel good about ourselves, and when I say self-esteem, I'm not talking about you know, big braggadocious things like owning an airplane or being the CEO or being the star football player. I'm talking about just, you know, having good feelings about the uh, effort you're making in life and the relationships you're developing and the things you're accomplishing. Not grandiose things, just everyday things. And so having good self-esteem is the opposite of addiction. Now, because of this episode, this relapse, and the feedback, I'm kind of developing this belief that the opposite of the destruction that takes place in an alcoholic relationship is trust. That might sound obvious. I don't know. But I think it, you know, we've talked about how when you are trying to recover an alcoholic relationship, trust is kind of the last step. Maybe trust comes right before intimacy. But trust is really hard. Trust takes time to redevelop. Uh, there's no shortcuts. We've talked about all of that. But I think I think it's it's more than just the last step in the process. I think it is the everything. I think the the opposite of of a bad alcoholic relationship is a fully trusting relationship. And the reason I believe that is because vulnerability, true vulnerability, requires trust. You, Sherry, have struggled, and for good reason. This is not me blaming any of this on you, but you have struggled for decades to be vulnerable with me, and it's because I've been so untrustworthy. And now, as we're years into my sobriety, and I, I'd like to think, and I'd like to hear what you have to say, but I'd like to think I'm more trustworthy that's the remaining barrier to, to get over for you to fully, 
fully trust me so that you can be fully vulnerable. What do you think about my little theoretical hypothesis that I've developed? So I guess I'm confused on like how the trust is kind of tying into episode 99. That was a conversation about, yes, a relapse, but it was based on the... Um, I feel like it was on the low set, like the low self-esteem or not trusting that I want to be with you in a sexual way. So I don't know how, like I trust you with a lot of things. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how that is relating to, to what episode 99 was really about. Well, okay. You're right. I didn't, I didn't necessarily describe that very well. We, we've had... Um, some really good experiences with each other since that happened in the middle of July. Um, some some intimate experiences where you have been able to be very vulnerable. And, I mean, I just feel like the reason that you're able to be increasingly vulnerable is because you're able to increasingly trust me and when you're able to be fully vulnerable like that it washes away all those insecurities that I have it washes away all those feelings like you don't want to be with me or you don't find me attractive okay so so it's 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 more than just me trusting you it's you also trusting that me that I want to be with you that I want to be intimate with you I don't always want to be intimate with you in the way that you want us to be and so that puts a lot of pressure on me. Um, so there was there was there was trust broken. Yes, there was a barrier put up during our our relationship. Yes, for sure. Um, there were things that I trusted you with, and then I got thrown back in my face over the years. Mm -hmm. um, or they were discounted because you thought you were the man and you knew things better than I did. Um, or, But I think that a lot of our problems was the insecurity of, of our sexual relationship sort of from the beginning. Because you had this one thought and idea and it wasn't always the case. And I'm finding out that from the responses that there are a lot of people in situations where... The partner that they're married to now wasn't the one that they like had the most sexual attraction to. Um, because they were the wrong fit for that person in so many other areas. So I feel like our relationship has a lot of trust, but it is opening up to you in a more vulnerable way because I think I'm worried about the expectation thereafter. And I'm also sometimes worried about your expectations of what the intimate relationship will look like on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Um, so I guess it's, uh, it's that I don't trust your intent or I'm not comfortable with the intent or expectation. Does that make sense? I think so. I think you laid out a lot right there. Yeah. So let's, let's talk through that a little bit. Um, so I agree that we got a lot of feedback from people who said, yes, I didn't choose the person that I was um, wildly sexually attracted to. I choose, chose the person that was stable, that I felt comfortable with, that I thought would, um, you know, be a hard worker and a good father and all of those kind of characteristics. And a good provider, Very... someone that you just got along with better, that you could have more than, you know, animal attraction, I guess. Exactly. Because life is so much more than that. Right. So we, we got a lot of feedback that said that. And, and you've said that. And so, as often happens through the podcast or through our Echoes of Recovery group, I hear other people say the same thing that you're saying, and it makes me feel better. Well, that's and good. And if, if, if that is, if I'm a horrible human being because I have to hear it from other people too, then just, I'm a horrible human being. But when I hear it um, from other other women, the same sentiment, it makes me realize, oh, that might be a gender-specific characteristic. Um, gender-specific or not, it's very common. So, 
you know, maybe men choose women for different reasons than why women choose men. And gosh, I don't think you'd have to go any further than biology to understand that that's probably true. So I can accept that. And, and yes, that makes me feel better to know that, yes, there was, there was someone else out there that you were more, you know, just revved up for, but that you walked away from that relationship because that person wasn't going to be good for you in the, in the, the ways that you value. I guess what I'm saying is maybe I, I don't want to speak for all men, but maybe I put that sexual attraction on a way higher um, priority than you do. And I feel like, based on the responses, you are very typical um, in deprioritizing that. And I, I guess I don't know how typical I am as a male for prioritizing that. But gosh, based on everything you see in the media, I got to think I'm pretty typical. Yeah. And so then, therefore, I think lies a lot of issues in... And, um for me that when I would think and and that's maybe why I was like rebelling or fighting against because you did put it on such a high priority and you would tell me how attracted you were to me sexually and I thought oh so I'm good for nothing else and I, I continue to tell you that and and do you continue to feel like you're good for nothing else it's definitely getting better why um because the relationship is getting better there's not the arguing and the fighting and the bad sex of making you feel better. And so definitely for years, because you did, like, make it seem like sex was the greatest thing in the world for a relationship and nothing else can fix it. And even up until, I feel like, recently made, like, not recently, like, but a few years ago, like, you know, even if you don't feel like having you know, an intimate relationship. It's good for the relationship. You have to have it. You have to have it. So it just made me feel so much pressure. Sure. And stress. And it made me rebel. And it made me not want to do the things you want to do. Absolutely. Because you did or you still do in your mind prioritize sex above a good sexual relationship above everything else. But I think that it just made me feel like I was only a sexual human being and anything else that I had to offer wasn't quite good enough because that was priority for you. I, and sorry, so it made me, and it just made me rebel and reject you even more, even when things were getting better um, in the relationship and during your sobriety and recovery. Absolutely. I... Again, I agree with everything you said. I feel terrible about that. So I guess now that trust is getting better and the relationship is getting better and that it's making our intimate relationship getting better because I don't quite feel like that as much. And almost never really do I feel like that other than when we have these terrible nights and conversations that are hard or uncomfortable. So then it takes me a while to kind of get back on track. Like, I am smart. I am good. I am all these other things. And you 100% are. I never, I never looked at you as only being that one thing. But I acknowledge that my actions made you feel that way and that that's a horrible thing. That that's a horrible thing. I mean, I, when, when I was especially, it, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that it carried over into early sobriety, but when I was actively drinking, I would often be confident, arrogant. Um, I made decisions without consulting you. I did all of those typical alcoholic type things. And then the only place where I showed weakness was in our sexual relationship. And when I say weakness, it was like, come on, um, why can't you show me you love me in this way? And so I can see where you would feel like the only place that I acted like I needed you was like that. 
And that would be a horrible feeling. And so here's how it, here's how it um, changed and adjusted over time in my head. I realized that that made me feel really empty. It was clear that you didn't have a desire to be with me. And so when we were together, eventually it made me feel awful too. And this is still when I was still drinking. This isn't even in sobriety. But I think we talked about it and addressed it more once I started to get sober. But even, even when we were together, it would make me feel horrible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then, so then I thought, okay, well, the solution has to be that Sherry isn't enjoying our intimate time together. So there must, you know, we've got to work on that. You, you had... At that point, no interest in your own pleasure. You wanted nothing to do with it. If anything that we were doing, you wanted it to be over as quickly as possible. Fair? Yeah. Okay. So this idea that you needed to enjoy it too was the furthest thing from your mind. And so I thought, okay, that's got to be the solution. If if she'll enjoy it too, um, then it'll feel fulfilling for both of us. And we tried that and we worked on it. And you worked hard. You, you, you know, I don't feel like at this point that I was gaslighting you. I don't think that's a fair assessment. I wasn't trying to trick you or convince you that you were nuts or anything like that. I was trying to figure it out too. Yeah. I didn't understand. And so that was the focus for a long time. Your pleasure when we were together. And then you got to the point where you... You could have pleasure and still not be um, emotionally connected. You know, we used the word connection about a hundred times on episode 99. And I, I don't know of any better word than that. But but I realized it was still hollow. Did you realize it too? Um, no, because I thought that that was the path that we were on. You were like, doing what I wanted you yeah. to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you thought, check it off the list, it's successful, because this is yeah, what he's you're like, trying you to know, figure out, is what he's asking let's for. Let's have a, you know, evening where you're getting pleasure, and Sherry, and I'm getting pleasure, and we're together, and yeah, I guess I wasn't always emotionally there in the way that you wanted me to be, still, and kind well, of went back to that. Well, I didn't know it though, right? I mean, you 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 figured out how to do what I thought the solution was and what I asked for. And and then it still it still didn't feel good. And so that's where I come around to this idea that because we have had experiences. We've had a growing number now of experiences where you are fully vulnerable and you are engaged. And um, connected all the good words that I can think of to use. And um, and it's it's different. And it's this has got to be. I mean, whatever you believe in, you and I, Sherry, believe in God. This has got to be what God intended. It in in my opinion, because. Um, I mean, it's full vulnerability and full trust. And that's why I say I think trust is the center of the relationship recovery universe. And I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but... And and obviously, obviously we won't get into any specifics, but when it has been like that, and you know what I'm talking about, I mean, do you... Okay, I guess I'll just ask, do you feel fully vulnerable, fully trusting? Do you feel like there's no way in hell that I would do anything to hurt you in that moment? There's, I'm a pessimist. (laughs) So there's always a chance. There's always a chance that there could be something that would, you know, go off the rails, I guess. But no, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it because we've been getting along so well and things are going so well and honestly when 
that evening happened on vacation, there had been... There had been a couple of questions you had asked me earlier in that week that I felt like it was just sort of probing me. And because you were not feeling maybe secure or, um, you know, you had insecurities about it. So I thought, okay, well, maybe if I am truthful and tell you, then maybe you'll understand. And I didn't ever incent. I didn't intend it to, like, go down that terrible path. I just felt like I could trust you saying that. And I thought that the relationship was stronger, I guess. And I guess maybe I thought you felt more confident because you had seen where things were going. But then you started to tell me how you hadn't felt like there was an emotional connection. So I was blind in seeing that you were not as strong um, and confident in our relationship and our intimate relationship and sexual relationship because I hadn't seen that I had kind of veered off a little bit either in giving you that emotional connection when we were being intimate. I know that you've said many times and a few times on the podcast, but many times to me, you know, that you could take it or leave it um you could go the rest of your life with no i'm not even just going to say sex but sex or intimacy you could go the rest of your life with we are um partners in life we are co-parenting we are making decisions together hopefully we're laughing together um we're watching movies together almost like a really good friend roommate relationship and I I think that feeling that you could go your whole life like that was because of the trauma of our alcoholic relationship and just getting out of that to a place of security was enough for you. Yeah. Is that... Yeah. I mean, especially the way our intimate and sexual relationship was during the drinking. Like, it just makes you vomit when you think in your mouth when you think about it. Because you're like, I I don't want any of that. And you're traumatized and you don't know what good is. One of the reactions that we got so many times over and over this, these last, since the podcast 99 was released was about, I don't mean to get gross, but about the smell, the smell of alcohol, the smell on your breath, the smell oozing from your pores. The snoring, I mean, some people just snore, right? But a lot of us mm-hmm. snore when we drink. I mean, that was the case for me. So all of those kind of visceral, you know, physical reactions um, or to reactions to physical input, mm-hmm. these sensory things, um, I mean, that was a huge turnoff for you. But... Here I am innocently thinking, oh, well, now I don't smell like alcohol, so that fixes it all. But mm-hmm. are, do those memories just linger? Is that why? Or, or... Yeah, like just a silly example. Like we fell out of kiss, the habit of kissing. Yeah. I didn't want to kiss. not a silly example. I mean, I, I didn't want to kiss you. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Even if you had brushed your teeth, it still smelled. Mm-hmm. And... And I have a very good sniffer, so that makes it all together worse. So I feel like it is such a, it was such a close memory of like kissing you, especially like if there was a ton of mouthwash, I would be like, what is he, you know, he's trying to cover up now the beer smell, so we'll kiss. But I still know behind it is the beer smell, and I can still smell it through that mouthwash. So even your mouthwash makes me think of the beer smell. You know, or did. Now that time has passed, for sure, it's not like that. That's... And also the sloppy drunk kiss. Like, we just didn't kiss well to begin like with. Like we were in an 80s movie? Yeah. Like, oh, lead, lead with God. the tongue? Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> oh, gross. Why, yes. did, Swallow why did movie kisses used to look like that? They I don't, don't anymore. They're hor- They're horrible. But that's... I, I mean, that, that's the generation that you and I grew up in. And I was like, there's nothing grosser than what I'm seeing and you thought that's the way you needed to be kissed but then you add the drunk 
drunkness to it and the smell and the taste you can on the tongue. Like, you know, like if you're not a smoker and you kiss a smoker, that's a really big turnoff. Yeah. I would imagine. So, um, so it was those sort of things of like just that little romantic stuff that we lost that intimate connection and pleasure sensor for. Well, you said that we fell out of the habit of kissing and, and that 100% agree is one of the reasons that we fell out of the habit of kissing. But the other one, this is something that we got a ton of feedback on as well. You mentioned in episode 99 that you didn't want to show me any kind of affection because you were afraid, this is back when I was drinking, you were afraid that it would immediately lead to me wanting, asking for, or demanding sex. Mm-hmm. So uh, a kiss or a hold of the hand or a rub of the back, you know, my spidey sense would go up and I'd be like, oh, where's the nearest bedroom? And I was, I wasn't surprised by the number of people that that was their kind of lead reaction to the podcast was, oh yeah, um, anytime I showed any affection or anytime I show any affection, that's um, what the expectation becomes. That's a, you know, I like to use the term universalism. That's pretty much a universalism. But then when you think about it, like stepping back and thinking about it and knowing now what I know, like that little bit of connection that showed affection was something you were longing and missing. And so, of course, you were going to get, you know, you were feeling insecure. Of course, you were going to react to that or respond to that. In a way, I mean, I understand, like, it didn't have to turn into sex, but immediately you were like, oh my gosh, someone, you know, and I don't want to, like, put words in your mouth, but it's like, oh my gosh, she does care about me. She does love me. Well, think about it. it so, think about it this way. Think about what we know about alcohol that is publicly discussed, publicly known. This bedroom stuff, nobody talks about, right? I mean, that's be, that's crystal clear. But what we know, if someone's drinking, then they are more likely to get behind the wheel of the car, even though they shouldn't. Like, you know, there's all, we all know you're supposed to take away the keys of the person who's drinking because they're going to reach a point where their decision-making is poor. Um, someone who's drinking is more likely to say something they shouldn't. Right. To, 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 to go too far, to be rude. Um, sexual assaults often involve alcohol. Someone who's drinking at a bar is going to touch someone inappropriately. It, the alcohol just takes away the brakes. You know, as a sober human being, we know where the line is and we know not to cross it. But when we're drinking, we that's all fuzzy and we do all these things that we shouldn't do. And so it shouldn't be surprising that somebody who's been drinking... You're, you're, when your husband's been drinking and you show a little bit of affection, he's going to be like, oh, you know, it's three o'clock on a Tuesday and we've got a lot to do. Um, so we should just, thanks for that kiss. We should get back to what we're doing. But no, um, I'm going to blow past that line and suggest that we go have an, an afternoon, afternooner or whatever. A you understand quickie. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the, you know, it. It's horrible. It's wrong. It's one of the reasons that I don't think, you know, addiction recovery is where we should focus, but addiction prevention is where we should focus. This shit's serious, man. Um, alcohol is not to be messed with. It is a poison. It makes us do these horrendous things. And when we're married to someone, it makes us do these horrendous things to the person we're married to. Well, and then you throw in the, the insecurity of why the person's drinking and you're not even, I Absolutely. don't think you're necessarily even talking about when there is alcohol, you know, being drank at that time. Like, I think that if you drink, if you're a person that drinks enough, it's always kind of in your system clouding you and... Well, it's changed the way your brain changing. functions. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that can happen even when a beer isn't in hand or... I mean, I, I think those but, are two different things. I think alcohol presently in my system, I have been drinking, makes me... Um, Say, oh, that that kiss wasn't enough. Let's mm -hmm. let's go find somewhere private. That kiss wasn't enough. So the alcohol itself does 
push us to do things that we shouldn't do and wouldn't do if we were sober. But then, yes, the insecurity piece is, as someone with a drinking problem, even when I'm sober, I feel like shit about myself. I have no self-esteem. I know I drank too much the last time. I know I drank too much the time before that. I know I said awful things to you. And it makes me feel like total trash. makes me feel like an awful person. And so there's a couple of things that bring me relief from that feeling. Alcohol being the leading candidate, right? When I drink, the self-esteem problems go away. That's why I think self-esteem is the opposite of addiction. But another thing that makes those feelings go away is sex. If if I take this little bit of affection you're showing me and turn it into lots of affection, I'll feel better about myself. So in essence, I'm I'm begging you to fill my bucket for me in a very unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And that that actually ties directly into one of the things that I wanted to talk about. Some of the responses that we got uh, didn't buy what I was selling on that podcast. Uh, one one was made public on our website, but we got others by email, which is, again, the way people most often communicate because they, they just want to keep their side of it private. Um, but I will read a line from the one that was publicly posted on our website. I felt Sherry was 100% being railroaded. And what this listener was saying was, um, you know, I am basically asking you to uh, make me feel better about myself. And even even as we recorded this recently, even in, in sobriety, um, I, I'm asking you to tell me that I am this smoking hot um, sexual being that you want to be with when that's not how you feel and that's not something you're comfortable saying. But I'm basically saying if you don't say that, I'm not going to feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a number of people that said that's my experience my husband expects me to tell him how good he looks and how much I want him and to prop him up and you know if I can't do that then he sulks and and that's why like this person used the word that, that you're being railroaded um, you know I, I will admit that that used to be me no question about it I used to need you to say good things to me, um, to make me feel better about myself. Inactive addiction and, and this is really important, during the emotional immaturity of early sobriety. When we talk to alcoholics in early sobriety, we talk all the time about how you are going to have to learn to manage your emotions now because the alcohol isn't there to just make the emotions go away. And feeling bad, feeling sad, feeling insecure. These are some of the emotions that we have to learn to deal with in sobriety. And for that whole first year or so of sobriety, most people, myself included, couldn't handle those emotions. It was awful. It was a roller coaster. I didn't know what to do with it. They say, sit with your emotions. Great. I'm sitting here. I feel awful. And 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 in time, the maturity comes and you can handle those emotions and you can deal with your own stuff. And so... I no longer feel like what I am trying to do in this exploration is get you to make me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm really just trying to understand what the hell happened and where we go from here. But I totally understand this person's comment and the ones that we got by email that said, you know, even now, you sound like a gaslighter. You sound like an insecure alcoholic, Matt, and you're... You're trying to force Sherry to do something that she's not comfortable doing. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast was I thought that the relationship had like evolved and that you were in a much better place. And because we have talked about all the reasons that I was maybe not physically attracted to you, but attracted to you, it was tough to say out loud that yes, you weren't the person in my early 20s that made me the most excited of the other relationships that I had had. But it made me, so I did feel a little bit like, wow, I can't believe I opened my mouth and now we're in this terrible like state because I thought that we had evolved so much. And I felt like the 
couple of days before you were asking questions that seemed a little probing and, and kind of pushing me to say it. And, and I did feel like you wanted to have an answer to something, but I didn't, I didn't quite expect that reaction. I thought that we had gone to a better place so that you'd be able to hear that and not feel so bad about it. Cause you know, I had held on to that. And, yeah, yeah. and I did feel like I was kind of pushed to say it because I was like, well, obviously he's sensing or feeling something and he keeps asking. And Well, I'm glad you said it. Ultimately, I'm glad you said it. I don't know that I would have said I was glad you said it, you know, before we started to get this reaction from episode 99, but I'm learning and I'm understanding more. Here's the thing. We were in a place when you said it where, as we talked about earlier, you had figured out how to find pleasure in our time together without giving me that emotional connection, without giving me the vulnerability and the trust. Now, now the way you keep saying it, sorry to interrupt. We were together. In Yeah, we were in the bed together. It wasn't like I was single and alone and... And you weren't right. a part of it. Yeah. So it was a podcast about masturbation. <laughs> okay. Well, gosh. I know you love that word. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yes. Okay. So, so you had done exactly what I asked. I want this to be not just about me. I want it to be about you, you, Sherry. I mean, us both, but you primarily. I want this to be about your enjoyment. And you had figured out a way to do that and stay disconnected. I don't know if anyone is going to have any reaction to that. I think that was a that's a pretty impressive talent, frankly, that you. But maybe maybe there's maybe we'll find out that there's lots of women who who have experienced that. I don't know. But anyway, so here you are giving me what I had asked. You are finding pleasure, and I'm like, oh my god, this is still empty and hollow and awful. And so in that moment when we're talking about that, that's when you laid it on me that you have never really been sexually attracted to me. And so, yeah, it was crushing in that moment. For it, sure. Because I was like, uh, she has, you know, figured out a shortcut to this too. It, and so, as I, as I said in episode 99, I was beginning to wonder, would you ever be attracted to me? Well, and I, I wouldn't say that I used the words like, I've never been sexually attracted to you. You didn't. I said, yes. I, I embellished it into heard. that, for sure. Yes, so that's when I was like, shit, he is not in this secure place that I thought he was in. And as time has taken place, you've kind of shared with, we've talked about that more, and that, um, that there wasn't that emotional connection, there wasn't the kissing, there wasn't the looking at each other that had been going on previously, so you were feeling... The disconnect. Um, but I, I didn't realize that so much of that emotional connection had gone away. Just because I guess it was still so new that I wasn't like thinking about it all the time. I was just thinking about, oh, it's for my pleasure. So we're going to do it my way and I'm going to be telling you what to do and we're going to make it work and boom, there it is. And now I'm happy. Good for me. Do you need to go to the bathroom before I turn out the light, or can I just turn it out now? Like no snuggling. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did feel a little bit like you know I opened my mouth and said something, and then I was like, "Shit, he is nowhere near where I thought we were." Yeah. But I didn't, and I think that the then the alcohol and the arrogance, and I think the insecurity that I had—I'll just lay it out there—I had more sexual partners. Before you and I met. Um, so I think that played into it a lot. And you didn't want to hear... I feel like early on in our relationship, when we were first married and stuff, you didn't want to hear what I was looking for. Or you thought you knew better. Or you just didn't care because you were more immature because you were, you know, early 20s. And wanted to only have your pleasure. So I did begin to not be sexually attracted to you because of the... 
um, brushing off of my needs and, and brushing off of my ideas and then alcohol started playing into it a lot more. So well, that I don't think that's fair. Alcohol played into it from the very, 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 well, very beginning. Yeah, I'm. I mean, like the active alcoholism of like just the selfishness and the the. Im- well, again, there's the way that the alcohol changes your brain function, whether you're sober or drinking. But then there's what alcohol does to you when it's, you know, acutely in your system at the moment, and you know everything you said was right. I. I didn't, I, I I would never say that I didn't care about your pleasure. I wanted you to enjoy it, but I wasn't willing to do anything to make that happen. I wanted you to enjoy it as long as you enjoyed it the way I enjoyed it. It was selfish. It was arrogant. I mean, we've talked about this before. The way sexual education takes place for for teenagers is just ridiculous. The idea that what stimulates a man is the same thing that stimulates a woman is a joke. And we don't talk about what feels good to a woman. And from the look on your face, we're not going to talk about it right now either. (laughs) But, but the point is, the point is, um, I was ignorant, stupid, innocent, all of that, but I was also drunk most of the time. Yeah. And I suppose I was too, like ignorant and innocent. And and so I wasn't going to, you know, work super hard to make it work for you. I just was going to work super hard to make it work for me. And, and it, you know, it was a contributing factor in why this, our intimate relationship, our sexual relationship turned awful over time. Add to that the smell of alcohol once you knew I was in trouble and you weren't drinking as much and you didn't want to be around the smell. Add to that the fact that every time you touched me on the back, I'd turn around and grab your breast and want to have sex. You know, all of it, all of these are contributing factors to why it got so bad. One of the things that, you know, wasn't just a response, direct response from episode 99, but we've just learned after, you know, a couple of years of, of being in this, not just ourselves, but being in this with other people, is that there's there's kind of two paths that the sexual relationship can take in an alcoholic marriage. The path like ours, where it becomes dutiful, um, unenjoyable, to, you know, tolerated awfulness for the wife to continue to have a sexual relationship. And then there's the other option, I guess, which is where it just completely dries up and contact dries up and the man and the woman don't don't continue to make things worse necessarily they just stop touching each other and you know bo- both of those cause damage in different ways um but the but those are both very very common things um to have happen and i think the problem is and the problem was for us when you're trying to, when you're in sobriety and you get that part behind you and you're, you've worked on the resentments and you're trying to get things back on track, the focus becomes the bedroom. Whether, whether we didn't have sex at all or we had bad sex for many years, let's fix that. Let's, let's fix that in the bedroom. And I don't, and, and you're probably going to be like, duh, I was telling you this all along, but I don't think the fix comes from the bedroom. The fix comes from constantly and consistently replacing bad memories with good and rebuilding trust. That's why I go back to trust again and again and again. If you can, you know, know that I'm going to be mentally stable and supportive and be able to listen to you when you've got issues, whether they relate to me or otherwise, that you're just sharing your issues or you've got things that you're worried about, or we've got parenting problems with the kids. If I can consistently and constantly be there for you and replace bad memories with good, that builds trust. And that's what it takes to get things back on track in the bedroom. It has nothing to do with being in the bedroom. So here I am saying, oh, Sherry, this has got to not be just about my pleasure anymore. It's got to be about your pleasure too. That wasn't really the solution. I mean, you figured out a way to make that happen, well, but you were a part of it. 
Like, you figured out ways that were not just, you know, the selfishness way of having yeah, we, sexual relationships. Okay. So we read there books. Was, yeah, there was we some listened education. To we learned. There was some education involved. Absolutely. And so We learned things we should have learned when we were 16, but instead we learned them in our mid-40s. Super helpful. Thank you, public education and or, society or and culture had, and whatever else. Yeah. But also, with that, I would say there's one more piece. I had to trust, like, if there was a time when we wanted to have what we had talked about or planned and date night and and then something were to come up or I just wasn't feeling well and in the mood, even though we were trying to get me in the mood, I also had to have all of that trust outside of the bedroom to be able to trust your reaction if I were to say, I just don't think it's going to happen tonight. Or, yeah. I'm just, or it's not going to happen the way you want, but it's still going to make me happy and it's still going to make you happy. Well, okay, but let's go to that first part. There, there are times where it's just, boy, you can tell the high quality of the production value of this podcast. There's a weed whacker going. It feels like it's in our backyard, but we don't have a lawn service, so maybe that's a chainsaw coming to attack us. Anyway, sorry for that, everyone. We do our best. Um, but, yeah, I. it took a long time for me to get to the point where I could hear you say, no, and not take that as personally that, offensive because yeah. you think I'm a disgusting human being or you're not attracted to me. Or just, no, I didn't feel like it at the time, you know, because of whatever else was going I mean, on. That was the real reason, and but emotional. it took a long time for me to accept that real reason yeah. and not think it was something bigger or, or more awful or that you didn't care about me. And you did, I mean, I knew we've known for many years now that our libidos don't line up. I think that's very, very common. Sometimes the woman has more of a sex drive than the man. More often than not, it's the man with more of a sex drive than the woman. They rarely line up. That's that's an you know an everyday relationship issue unrelated to alcohol. But for a long time, I couldn't take the fact that they didn't line up as anything but an insult toward me. You felt like it was a total rejection. Yeah. Or even if like something like date night it was planned and something came up that was triggering me emotionally not with you but something on the outside like how I couldn't just push that off push it aside you know with my knowledge of pushing everything down you would think that I could and I could move forward with you know but but here's part of the problem with that so when we we used to do that I'm glad you brought up date night we used to have you know okay once a month we're going to really we're going to really try and make this good. Um, once a month puts a ton of pressure on that once a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it doesn't have to be every night. I'm not suggesting that. I mean, we'd be exhausted like that wouldn't work. It couldn't be every night. But once a month's not the solution either. Is that because, it, I mean, it just puts the weight of the world on that once a month. Well, that, and then if you, yeah, that's very if true. something happened and put you in a sour place, or me, or me in a sour place, and and the connection wasn't there. Yeah, I'm gonna then, just, I'm just gonna go with what one of the books that we read that I appreciate. Um, her, his, when you and your partner are at a good place, you have to do what works for you. Like, that's what she said, is the amount doesn't matter. It's whatever works for you and your relationship. Um, so, but I get what you're saying is, like, when you try to overschedule it too much and it's not, it's not allowing for room for interference or life playing in, then just that a, puts a lot of pressure. A ton of pressure. And then that adds to anxiety or stress and frustration and... Disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, since July 14th of 21, which was over a month ago, we, you know, a lot has happened in the last month. We've made great progress in in this area. Not just because we published episode 99 but 
actually completely separate from publishing episode 99. We've made great po- make great progress, I think. And again, the focus on trust and vulnerability for me has been big because we have had some some moments where you have been very 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 trusting and very vulnerable. What is that just you trying harder? Well, I think it was just falling back into or not recognizing I guess not recognizing how much of the emotional connection you wanted. And I was thinking of it just oh gosh. I can't get this song out of my head. What, all by myself? No. 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 Um Thought you were going down the Typical male thinks with his dick. That's a song by Grace Jones that I love. Typical male. Typical male thinks with his dick. So I guess like just going away from that, that most men don't talk about needing to have that emotional connection. And we talked about, oh, it's my pleasure. And just kind of falling off track with the emotional connection, the the like kissing and the um, um, looking at each other and that sort of like engagement where you are working together, you know, to have a connection and have intimacy and have a good sexual experience. I kind of fell off track with that. And I think I'm just, you know, that pushed me to remember that that's what it was about. And even though I had to learn a lot, because I feel like I had to learn a lot. And I feel like that was one piece that I just didn't realize was like really important to our relationship. And really important to you. I think you're right in saying that most men don't talk about or even necessarily maybe consciously realize. Yeah. This sounds very arrogant and I'm, I'm kind of regretting having said it, but. Or brave enough to share. I don't know about brave enough. It's so hard to process through all this and get to this point. Um. Okay, maybe brave enough. I don't know. But I, I, I think I been most men don't that. express this need for emotional connection because most men are taught um, emotions are baggage. Emotions are negative things that you just got to deal with. And the faster you can get them you know, out of your consciousness, the better. And so I think you're right. Talking about the need for emotional connection is rare. But I don't think it's rare to have the need for emotional connection. I think most men need that. I just don't think most men talk about that. Or 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 maybe Or all of us know where to start to talk about it. All of us people that are great at shoving down, pushing aside. I didn't I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't think about it. That's why it was probably really easy for me to disregard that part of it. Right. Or not fully understand or partially listen or eh, maybe he's wrong you know so maybe that's why it was really hard because I am very good at pushing things down yes yeah yeah so I I mean it is not about orgasm it is not about sex what (laughs) that she's making when I use when I use her favorite words, <laughs> yes. she makes the greatest faces. It's uh. it's not about orgasm. It's not about my orgasm. It's not about your orgasm. It's about complete emotional connection. It's about vulnerability and trust. And I think getting to the safety point of safety and security. Absolutely. Getting to the point of realizing that, recognizing it, and talking about that. Forget about the talking about it. Realizing it and recognizing it is really, 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 really hard. And so I don't think... That it's a common thing to do this. But that's not to say it, it It totally is a common thing to need it. And when you've done years and decades of destruction, you've gone 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction. That's literally what we did, right? For all of those years of my drinking and for the first years of my sobriety, we went as fast as we could away from trust and vulnerability and this deep emotional connection. And getting to that, I won't even say getting back to that because we never had it. We never had that when we were younger and right. we were drinking. So finding that, it, it's 
it's hard enough in a relationship that doesn't involve alcohol. Imagine how hard it is in a relationship that does. Oh, wait, you don't have to imagine it. You've lived it. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, since July 14th, we've had, we've made a lot of progress. We've had some great experiences together. We've had what I would consider the best night we've ever had together. Ever. In all of our hundreds of years together. <laughs> that just seems like that sometimes. Anyway, best night we've ever had. And I'm not, when I say best night ever, I'm not talking about candle wax. There was no swing from the chandeliers. Oh God. It's nothing like Jesus. that. Well, I know it's nothing like that. I mean, if anybody has learned anything about me on this show, it's that I'm a wee bit of a prude. I'm a bit of a prude, and I'll admit it. I don't think you're a prude. But it's not about that stuff. It's not about what the movies tell you it's about. It, we've, we had an experience where I felt that you really, 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 really wanted to be with me in that room in that moment. Now, I've felt like that before, but I've never felt it that strong as the, the time that I'm talking about. I mean, it's as close to 100% trust and vulnerability as I've ever felt from you. Do you, like, did, did you feel that way too? I'm not asking you to describe I anything. No, It's just, again, to me, this just feels like you need... Oh, okay. To have some reassurance. Oh, okay. I mean, and that's one of the reasons I think also it was really hard for me at the beginning of us trying to, in sobriety and in recovery, where we were at a better place, to try to work on this emotional sexual connection was because I felt like you always want to talk about it because you always want to talk about everything. Okay, I always want to talk why... about it and you don't want to talk about right. it. Right. That's fair. Right. But I don't need reassurance. But the, it feels the, the like point, that. Okay, but the point is nothing you could tell me would take away what I experienced. I know that you wanted to be there. So isn't that good enough? Yeah, it's good enough for me emotionally, 100%. But... We're trying to explain this to other people. So it turns out we do have to talk about it a little bit. This isn't... I'm not even going to go there. So, no. Okay, fine. For, for once. For once. Or not for once, but for a few number of times. It isn't about reassurance okay, for me. Okay, yes. It was a very lovely evening. <laughs> you should... You should write <laughs> pornography scripts. You're, a, yeah. But no, but, I, I guess like, yes, it was like sort of like, uh, you know, like if you were to have like a great, you know, romance, love novel, whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't read that it, stuff. But it was, com obviously. it was complete connection it was total trust, yes. total vulnerability. And we had had like a good evening and like many good days before oh, that. Yeah. It the was lead in has to be there. Fun dancing night and you know, it was just like just things were right. Every it's like all the stars lined up. How about that? All the stars lined up. There you go. Yeah. Hormones were in check because that's one thing we haven't even discussed and we're not qualified to discuss that hormonal stuff with you know, but everything was in check, lined yeah. up. And I think, you know, even though you said that you thought that I was bringing this up because I still needed you to make me to, I needed you to fix my insecurity. I'm glad you said that because that actually gives me the opportunity to say, it's actually the opposite of that. It's one of the few times where I felt so secure, nothing you could say could, could convince me otherwise. Okay. And and we've we've had experiences like that in the past, um, and you know what I'm talking about. Where yeah. doesn't matter what you say, I was there. I know what happened. You were in it. You were all the way in it, and that felt really good. But that said, am I still insecure? Absolutely. Do I still have questions? You know it. Limitless questions. Jeez. Endless questions. Sometimes turn that brain off. Do they still do lobotomies? 
are you still was the trust really good and is the vulnerability better absolutely but are you still working on it yes sex is not the goal nor is pleasure it's this complete trust this complete connection and if if as a listener if you're hearing this and you still feel like I'm full of bullshit and I'm railroading my wife um I get that but on episode 99 I had a ton of insecurity just in that episode in that moment talking about that I I could I could feel that I could feel that I sounded like a gaslighter to a certain extent I don't feel that on this episode I am very confident in because we had a lot of experiences and what we're talking about. But we've had had a lot of great conversations post that evening. Like You like talking, don't you? you no, pretend you I don't. don't. I don't. Great. You said great conversations. Yeah. Great conversations doesn't equal I like to talk. <laughs> so we had lots of heartfelt, emotional conversations and I also then realized, wow, we weren't, he, yes, had some insecurities in that, probably hurt him because we were just at different places. But I just think that, I think that that kind of sexual connection has to come after you have all of these great things. That's right. You know, and that's something we didn't have. Yeah. And that's something we didn't have in the beginning. And, um, I knew that, you know, that that was something we needed to to work. I needed to get back on track of working with. So that in working on that emotional side of it. Well, I'm super proud of you and I'm glad that we're working on it together. And I love you, Sherry. Thanks. Love you too. I know you do. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.